Since the spring of 2020, the COVID-19 pandemic has impacted nearly every sphere of life across the world. Healthcare systems in particular have been overwhelmed with massive surges of hospitalizations and the burden of care for the nearly unprecedented volume of patients has fallen on the shoulders of healthcare workers. ISPU sought to understand how American Muslim healthcare workers have been impacted by this stress and how they've been coping with it. The resulting study published in April, 2022 is titled Mental Health of Muslim Healthcare Workers During COVID-19. This report was co-published by ISPU and the Stanford Muslim Mental Health and Islamic Psychology Lab. In today's episode of Deep Dives with ISPU, ISPU's Outreach and Partnerships Manager, Petra Al-Sufi, is in conversation with the report's primary investigator and co-author, Dr. Rania Awed. Dr. Awed is an ISPU scholar and director of the Stanford Muslim Mental Health and Islamic Psychology Lab. We hope you enjoy their insightful conversation on this crucial topic in this episode of Deep Dives with ISPU. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Deep Dives with ISPU. I am Petra Al-Sufi, the Outreach and Partnerships Manager at ISPU. I'm joined by Dr. Rania Awad, co-author and primary investigator of the mental health of Muslim healthcare workers during COVID-19 report. Welcome, Dr. Awad. Thank you so much, Petra. So wonderful to be here with you and with ISPU. Thank you. It was a pleasure working with you on this project, and we want to dive a little bit more into the findings. So let's begin by getting a little bit of a background on the mental health of Muslim healthcare workers report. Can you tell us, tell our listeners how the study came about? What were you and your colleagues observing during the pandemic that showed this topic needed to be explored more in depth? So we were finding that there was, um, with everybody who was really stressed out, honestly, around the time of the early pandemic, right when the pandemic, we all went into, you know, sheltering at home, the people who are on the front lines and out and about and doing work overtime, double time, triple time, were actually our healthcare workers. So we knew right off the bat that they were going to be the ones who were probably the most adversely affected by this particular pandemic, but probably the least studied and anyone actually checking in with them to see how they were doing since they were providing all the care for everyone else. Uh, you're absolutely right. And what what motivated you to explore that topic on American Muslim healthcare workers specifically? Yeah, definitely. You know, our lab, the Muslim Mental Health and Islamic Psychology Lab at Stanford University, we do quite a bit of work on the mental health of Muslim populations. And we were already kind of in the midst of work looking at, uh, for folks who identify as Muslim, kind of this double or even triple minority status that we were studying. So we were looking at aspects like Islamophobia, being attacked for someone's identity as being Muslim, in addition to other aspects of their identity. When you kind of think about the layered level, so whether it's their gender, their race, their religion, you know, so you put all these layers together, you find that there's actually more difficulty that people are dealing with, especially you know, in the years right before the pandemic, and then add now a global pandemic on top of that. So we were already in the midst of studying that. And then being embedded within a healthcare system, you know, being part of Stanford healthcare system, we were very much attuned to what it means for folks who are actually healthcare providers, being out there who helping and assisting and doing all these extra shifts. So we were thinking, well, if you already have kind of this double or triple minority status as an American Muslim, 
And on top of that, you now have your identities as a healthcare worker. Does that mean there's actually added uh, concern here for their health and well-being? So you mentioned the intersection of mental health and healthcare workers, and of course, being American Muslim, mentioned the triple minority status in some of the challenges. Would you say these challenges, or are these the unique challenges American Muslim healthcare workers face compared to uh, to healthcare workers in the general public, or is there something else? There's definitely an overlap. Certainly, folks, you know, when we talk about things like gender discrimination, racial discrimination. These are definitely an overlap between Muslim healthcare workers and others. But I think the thing that's going to be unique in addition to that is faith. Whereas, you know, in America, either, um, and particularly I would add in a healthcare system, either a person is kind of private about their own faith and background. So you don't really know what a person's faith background might be. Or if it's sort of the dominant faith, which is here kind of a, a Christian dominant faith background, then it doesn't really evoke discrimination per se. But when someone is Muslim, especially if they are an observant, visible Muslim, like say a woman who wears hijab and also is a physician, a nurse, or somebody who's, you know, the healthcare system, then at this point, you're adding a layer of identity that's very observable, visible, and in addition to everything else we talked about. So there is kind of a unique um, level of discrimination that um, is evoked for that woman who, or that man, for example, with a beard, who might be much more visible than the average healthcare worker. You brought up uh, religiosity or religious um, appearance, and I want to explore that a little bit more with you. You explore the mental health impact of COVID-19 on Muslim healthcare workers, but also their coping strategies. One interesting finding uh, is that experiencing Islamophobia in the workplace is associated with healthy coping strategies. Yeah. Uh, so that was that was that was surprising and interesting, um, especially those of a religious nature. Can you elaborate more on that, as well as share findings you found particularly in- interesting about how American Muslim healthcare workers cope with mental health struggles? Absolutely, and you're right. It was kind of a very interesting finding in this particular study because at this at this particular study. We kind of took this deep dive where we looked at 700, just about 700 um, Muslim healthcare workers on the front line of the COVID-19 pandemic. And we surveyed them to see, you know, how, how were they doing? How was their mental health? How was their well-being? What, how were they coping? And as you mentioned, it's really interesting to see that intersection between the levels of discrimination that they were feeling even before the pandemic, but especially during the pandemic, because here they are on the front lines. And especially in the early months before any, you know, of the pandemic, before any vaccines or anything was out, there was a lot of fear and trepidation, a lot of uncertainty, a lot of unknowns. And here were folks who were kind of like literally putting their lives on the line, yet they were also dealing with the backlash of Islamophobia or the backlash of some other form of discrimination. So we were particularly interested to see how were they coping with all of that. And one of the Um, very unique findings of this particular study was that people who were dealing with Islamophobia were actually using religious coping mechanisms to get through that discrimination, to be able to cope through it. And that was really surprising to us. I mean, we, we knew that Muslims in general tend to fall back on faith and on their religious practices. So things like prayer, reading the Quran, Holy Scripture, doing dua, kind of asking God for help. And it was so interesting to see that the correlation between those who experience high levels of Islamophobia 
were actually correlated with those who were using these religious coping mechanisms as well. Yeah, that was really surprising. And at the same time, we know, as you mentioned, in general, American Muslims do fall back on their faith um, and see as a source of happiness and strength. So this report was fielded one year into the pandemic. Um, Now we're in a time period where people think the pandemic is over and COVID-19 is kind of something of the past. Now that's, uh, this is a little bit over two years and we have, do you have any observation or recommendations have changed in regard to how uh, to support and understand the mental health of Muslim healthcare workers? Or is this uh, still the relevant and the recommendations they're still relevant? Well, a couple of things. I would say the COVID-19 pandemic is not over. (laughs) I think that's a very important point here as we sit here kind of towards the tail end of 2022. We all want it to be over and I really do hope and pray that it will be sometime soon. But I think it's really important to realize that people are still getting affected by COVID-19 and there's still um, high levels of risk. Although, thank God, we have, you know, the vaccines and the various aspects of, you know, care and protection. Um, So that's just one note (laughs) for our listeners and for those of us who are studying, um, studying this in the field. In terms of your question related to is, are the recommendations in this particular report still relevant? Absolutely. Are we finding that two and a half years into the pandemic, people are still using what we call our healthy, we kind of in this study, we termed aspects healthy and unhealthy coping mechanisms. And I'll give you a couple of examples, you know, things like exercising or, you know, socializing with their social networks in a safe manner. Um, Or, for example, uh, the religious methods that we talked about, the extra prayers, extra Qur'an, extra du'a, are are considered from our healthy coping mechanisms. Whereas the unhealthy were things like eating comfort food or shopping online or, you know, um, not just regular sleep, but we mean extra sleep, like somebody kind of really hibernating, essentially, and and avoiding dealing with with their um, everyday life. These, uh, when we compare kind of healthy and unhealthy coping mechanisms, they are still very much the reality today as well. And so the recommendations that we gave for this particular report related to make sure that you look at the intersectionality of a person's reality, essentially, their various levels of identities and how they're being affected. So it's not just that you're a healthcare worker putting yourself on the front lines that's being affected here. It's also if you happen to also be someone who is an observant, visible Muslim, in addition to being, let's say, you're African-American, in addition to being a woman, in addition to wearing a hijab, right? So when you add these many layers, potentially that particular Muslim healthcare worker is going to deal with so much, so much, so much more. In fact, we found in the study that it's up to five times as much mild mental health uh, concerns or up to 6.6 times the serious or moderate mental health concerns if you have these various levels of intersecting identities. So our, our recommendations to make sure that that's paid attention to, that we really emphasize and this report seeking out mental health support and care of understanding the systems that we that we work in and actually having that being addressed things like microaggressions and macroaggressions and that being you know people understanding what unconscious biases are all of that's going to be very much evergreen in our recommendations one one point i want to uh, bring up that we haven't talked about a lot is that of stigma 
did uh, stick, you know, and especially that mental health is a, a very serious um, concern in our nation today, not just for American Muslims, but for the for the general public. Mm-hmm. Um, what is the status of the stigma on mental health that in, in the American Muslim community, but especially on, on uh, healthcare workers? I mean, stigma is a, a, a very important part of the discussion. It's it's kind of the key to this entire puzzle, honestly. And um, it, you asked about both. So when we look at the general American Muslim population, all the studies that we've conducted in the lab um, related to mental health, we actually have an entire scale dedicated to perceptions and attitudes towards mental health in American Muslims or in Muslim populations in general. But when you isolate American Muslims, you find that the stigma levels are still high. And when we compare studies we did early on in our research, kind of you know a decade ago, and compare recent studies in the last couple of years, we do find that there is a change. It's a, it's a positive, it's a change in the positive direction where, um, and maybe it's generational, and, and you know, younger people are more interested in accessing mental health care and have you know, better perception towards it. But it also could be just the fact that as a country, all of the U.S. as a country, we have become, we've embraced mental health a whole lot more than in years past. And, uh, and by that, I mean things like athletes and actors and actresses and, you know, people in the general mainstream media kind of very publicly speaking about their mental health struggles and help getting help, their vulnerabilities. That also helps kind of lift the entire society in speaking about mental health much more, um, you know, openly than ever before and reducing that stigma of getting help, of, of actually admitting that a person has a struggle. And then of course, of getting help. In the American Muslim healthcare workers specifically, they kind of narrow down in that subgroup of the American Muslim population. In this study, we found that there was in fact still stigma. And, but that also that people were willing to kind of get the help they needed. And we were very happy to see that uh, result come through. And that becomes part of our recommendations ongoing. That not only did, I mean, we have a massive amount of people, it was 83% of our sample said that they actually sought out mental health, professional mental health care support to help them through the impact of COVID-19. That is, I mean, the, the majority of our study, I and mean, that's incredible. At the same time, we want, to, we want to kind of caution and make sure that we understand that the general population is still underutilizing mental, mental health care. So we kind of want to bring both um, to the surface and make sure everyone is kind of getting the help they need when they need it. That's a really important reminder because historically stigma was saw as the main reason uh, in the American Muslim community for not seeking mental health uh, services. And we just want to make sure that people are aware stigma is still there. It is changing, however, and it's not the only reason uh, that people are not seeking uh, the help they need. So let's wrap this up with one question. Who is this report intended for and who can benefit from it? Well, I would really hope that everyone can benefit from it. I think there are themes here that are useful for anybody, even if you're not within a healthcare system or this is not the specific population you're um, studying or interested in. I think the general concept of intersectionality and the multiple layers of identity of a person, um, particularly this concept of a double or triple minority status, I think that's something universal and needs to be understood widely. So here we're talking about more specifically the American Muslim population, but and then even more specifically healthcare workers. But this concept of that intersectional identity is key and is something that should be you know 
really accessed by all folks. And hopefully the strategies we provide are also very much effective for anybody really going through this global, because we are all part of the pandemic, right? This global pandemic that we're going through. So whether it's our recommendation to access mental health care and support, whether it's the recommendation of incorporating any sort of, you know, ism or phobia, like in our case, we're talking about Islamophobia, right? Any sort of anti-faith or anti-racial or anti-gender kind of um, discrimination, as we focused on in our report, that kind of awareness and prevention. Talking about diversity and inclusion programming is so important and all people can benefit from this. Or our recommendation related to, you know, having space and time allocated for people who are of faith backgrounds and are using religious coping strategies to get through this. So allowing them the space to pray or even a location to do so within hospitals or schools or any other setting, honestly, even just the time or acknowledgement, I think is going to be really important. So to answer your question, I think many different facets of our society can benefit from this particular report. And definitely the recommendations I think are much more scalable um, than just this one particular population study. Thank you so much for this input and for working on this report um, and helping us get it out to the public. Thank you, Dr. Awad. It's been a pleasure. And I thank ISPU very much. And I look forward to working on more studies alongside of ISP. Thanks to Dr. Rania Awed and Petra for their insights into this groundbreaking report. You can read the full study at ISPU.org backslash mental dash health dash Muslim dash healthcare dash workers. We know that's a long one. This link and other related resources will be listed in the show notes of this episode. For more information on the Institute for Social Policy and Understanding, visit ISPU.org. Join our email list for a first look at exclusive research and community events at ISPU.org backslash sign dash up. And you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter at the ISPU and on Instagram at the underscore ISPU. Thanks for tuning in to Deep Dives with ISPU. We'll see you next time.